Hello and welcome to the only podcast that's all about Fort Meade, our community, and life in the military. I'm your host, Joe Nieves. And I'm your co-host, Sherry Kuiper, and you're listening to Fort Meade Declassified. Have you ever had a ghost pepper donut? No, I've... Where did I see that? I think I just saw that on someone's menu. Yes, on the Dunkin' Donuts menu. That's where it was, yeah. They are delicious. Yeah. Do you like spicy food? I do. I don't know how much I like the idea of sweet and spicy food, although I've heard like spicy chocolate is good. Spicy chocolate is good. Yeah. It is very good. That um, whole like spicy sweet combo, uh, very, very good. Yeah. Works very well together. It's... Well, I have to admit, I saw um, somebody on like Instagram reviewing this donut. Interesting. And I was like, okay. And then I went through Dunkin' the other day to get an iced coffee. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it a try. It's really spicy. Like, it really? has some kick to it. Not That's like, cool. Not like burn your mouth, get the, you know, fire hose yeah. kind of spice. But it definitely had some kick to it. It has like a strawberry taste to it at okay. first. And then yeah. it's like, bam. I think when I saw the photo, ghost it pepper. definitely looked strawberry. Like strawberry <laughs> with ghost pepper. But see, that's so... <sighs> I, I feel like if you're gonna if you're gonna tease me with ghost pepper, then it should burn my mouth off. Like, well, you know, like I get they gotta sell it and people have to buy it, but if you're gonna say ghost pepper, <laughs> do you pepper, really want people driving down the street with their donut with their mouths on fire? <laughs> that seems a little dangerous. Head out the window, opening your mouth to catch some wind, so yeah. it cools you down. <laughs> and and you know, there's a Duncan right outside Mapes. We we don't yeah. want to encourage. Um, that kind of stuff, <laughs> but I mean, I get a coffee from the Mapes Dunkin' Donuts all the time. Yes, this is not an endorsement for Dunkin' Donuts, but no, Ghost Pepper it's an endorsement for coffee and Ghost Pepper Donuts. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, let's try it. Let, let's tell us what you think about the Ghost yeah. Pepper Donuts on social, guys. Super good. I don't know if they're around forever, so get out there and try one now. If you're perfect for um, Halloween, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, if you're into that kind of thing, it was yummy. And you know, we always have to talk about food. Always. It always, uh, co- always comes around to food. But we've had lunch today, so I'm not that into talking about food anymore. Usually yeah. the more, if we record before lunch, we seem to talk a lot more about food. Yeah. Because we're like probably we're, hungry. We're thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, I'm really excited, Joe, about the interview we're sharing with everybody today. Councilman Andrew Pruski. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Councilman Pruski, uh, he is... Very cool dude to talk to. This was probably one of the first times that I actually sat down and, and got to talk to him kind oh, of yeah. one-on-one. Yeah. And um, he has a lot of great history around here. He's been a public servant, what, his whole life, Joe? Uh, pretty much. I, from from the stories he shared with us, there's a lot of, a lot of life in in service to into for others, which is great. I mean, as an educator, as a council person, volunteering at the VA. Yes. I mean... He's he's done a lot for others, which is which is really refreshing. Right, and you know what I like about the interview today? He talks about not only all of that, Joe. He talks about how service members who live here on Fort Meade. Um, one of the big problems we always run into is we live here, but we're not necessarily residents of here. Right. And he talks about some really great ways that we can still be involved on the things that impact us, because as he says in the interview. You know, we still live here. We still use the services, and those things still matter to us. Um, here at Fort Meade, you might be here a little bit more long-term than in some other installations. And the other thing that he talks about, this is the first person who's had an open conversation with us about COVID and yeah. and his experience of having COVID and, and what that was like for him. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen out there listening, here's our interview with Councilman Andrew Pruski. So, Councilman Pruski... Let's just jump right into what exactly is it that a county councilman for Anne Arundel, Anne Arundel County does? What sure. do you do? Thank you for the question. Um, we actually do a lot of things. Uh, I consider it a second full-time job. I actually have a full-time job. I'm a, a supervisor of internal assessments for Prince George's County Public Schools, but the councilman job is part-time. Uh, it's what you put into it, I would say it's 40 to 50 hours a week because of the number of emails and other things that come in. But really, we're the local level of government. Uh, we uh, pass budgets and kind of legislate for schools, fire, police, um, your basic services. So anything related to, to local government, 
uh, we would be responsible for. The structure we have here in Anne Arundel County is we have seven council members and a county executive. And certainly uh, we work in tandem um, to pass legislation, pass a budget each year, and obviously uh, decide you know, what local taxes are from that end. So what amazes me out of the many impressive things you just said is that this is not a full-time job. You actually have a full-time job on top of this. Sure. Yeah, again, it's, it's what you make of it. Um, you know, I, I consider it a second full-time job because I pretty much spend every um, evening and weekends and even take time off from work. Um, people kind of laugh at me, you know, when you take a vacation, they're saying, where are you going? And I said, right to my house uh, to do work <laughs> for county council. Um, and that happens frequently. But you want to know what? something that I signed up for. Uh, I'm a firm believer in public service. Obviously, with you all serving Fort Meade, uh, there are a lot of sacrifices made. So we decide you know, to choose uh, to do that. And we do it for our local community and our country. And so again, um, it's something that I signed up for and I appreciate doing it. And, and I was an Eagle Scout as well when I was younger. So obviously I was involved. <laughs> well, maybe we can, Joe, schedule another interview where you can teach us your work-life balance and how you manage that. Because Joe, I don't know about you, but I see a councilman, I see you out all the time working. I can't imagine that, that you did that. And that just really speaks to the dedication of our local government officials, you know, our local county officials and things of that nature, uh, because I have uh, I've met many of them and they all say the same thing. They're like, this isn't my full time job. And I don't um, I don't know that people appreciate the amount of effort you put into it and then have to have an actual full time job anyway. So that's that's really amazing. One of the things I read was that you guys really deal with public local laws. So as you were just saying, how does that impact Fort Meade? Because you are district four and Fort Meade is fully in your district, correct? Well, actually parts of it go into Councilwoman Lacey's district, um, okay. which is district one, very few. Again, remember Fort Meade is comprised a whole bunch of things. Uh, NSA, EPA, DISA, I could, I could go through all. Fort Meade proper though, uh, the base itself is generally in my district, yes. So how does the public um, and local laws that you guys work on at County Council, how does that impact Fort Meade? Yeah, so remember, uh, we have Fort Meade operations where you have the 50,000 plus people that work there every day coming in and out for all the different agencies. Of course, you have the Garrison Command, which is you know the local, obviously support troops, other things, and, and other folks uh, that are there. And, and really, uh, what a, people don't realize is not everyone lives on Fort Meade. There, there are some. Obviously we have veterans, we have active duty, we have retirees, um, we have a whole bunch of housing that's there. Um, our local laws really though don't, because it's federal property, right? I mean, obviously there's state laws and other things um, and really the garrison command kind of has the say, uh, even like speed limits, things like that. But we, we work in tandem and a lot of the things that do impact, uh, impact the folks at Fort Meade. So for instance, you know, my children have played sports with so many um, active military families, children that, you know, we're in contact from people from all over, you know, they, they come in and visit. Um, and of course, you know, I have a personal history also with, with Fort Meade, uh, with my brother and sister who were born there. Uh, my father was stationed, uh, you know, there. I, I was not uh, born and raised there, but I'm very familiar, obviously. Um, what's their Kimberlough Hospital, which is now Kimberlough Ambulatory Service. You know, it's very limited, obviously. Uh, right. But no hospital. Uh, when my brother and sister were born, uh, they're on base. And then certainly, um, you know, like any military family, you move on, whatever else, but uh, have those connections to the area. But yeah, it, it's, it's, the impact is, is really the folks that live off and then schools. Uh, we do have a partnership because obviously the, the families that are at Fort Meade do attend Anne Arundel County Public Schools. So obviously yep. that's a forged partnership and some of the schools are on base. So the property technically, Meade High School, um, you know, and all the Meade Middle and all the other ones that are there are, are on base. It's really kind of a uh, a partnership piece. So. Yeah, we do have, we have seven, uh, for those who don't know, seven Anne Arundel County schools on Fort Meade property. And so that's uh, the high school, two middle schools and four elementary schools uh, there. So that's quite a lot. And I don't think people realize that either. So as you just said, that's a huge partnership, especially in education. And you have such a, a history in education, which it's your job, your other job that you have now. I know that you uh, you used to be a, a social studies teacher and that you also sat on several different national um, education panels as well. So it sounds like education is near and dear to your heart. It is, um, you know, 
I really didn't know what to do when I wanted to grow up when I was younger. I, I was involved uh, with many different things um, and I got a history degree. And history is great because not only do you learn about your past, but you also become a good writer and you do analysis, right? You make, it makes you think. Um, and so initially I was actually gonna go to law school and I, I decided against that. I'm actually, I'm, I'm kind of glad. I, I joke when I'm at the county council that um, I'm not an attorney, but I play one on TV, you know? <laughs> um, from that end, but but ultimately, uh, I enjoyed teaching. I, I taught at Prince George's County Schools, uh, Frederick Douglass High School for four and a half years. And then I went up to Baltimore County and did some other central office jobs. And I also served on the Board of Education here in Anne Arundel. I was the president. Yes. President. Um, so yes, and I did serve on, on several panels. Um, you know, education is important because a lot of people, uh, you know, realize obviously the things that we do uh, to obviously help our youth in, in terms of where they're going to go for their future opportunities. Um, you know, I know we always talk about like social security retirement, but we talk about what do we give a foundation for our citizens, right? For active citizenship, but also learning uh, the basics. And that's why it's so important to me that that is not only funded, but it's also, uh, you know, appropriate. And that there's a lot of, um, you know, equity and equality provided to our schools and making sure that, you know, we have the opportunities for our children to do to do well. So um, can you can you tell us a little bit about uh, the Board of Health? Yeah, so Anne Arundel County, uh, we actually, as the council members, sit as the Board of Health, Anne Arundel County uh, Department of Health. And uh, we are an advisory body. However, the health department, um, I would say chair or director, um, Dr. Kelly Maram, our current uh, you know, health director, is appointed both, both by the county executive and the governor's secretary of health. So it's a joint appointment. Um, it's unique. Some states have that model, uh, but the Department of Health themselves really sets regulations. So for instance, when you're looking at septic and sewer, somebody's trying to build a house, like what are the, the sanitary conditions for that to occur for building? Restaurants, you know, quality of food is, is the procedures being followed. Hotels are certain uh, sanitary things are, are being done, obviously cleanliness and so on. And, and even for, um, you know, I've even had trash where people have left it out or you know, there's been a violation or something along those lines. It's really to protect uh, the general welfare of the public from a health stance uh, from that group. And, and again, we sit as advisory uh, to that group, but decisions are kind of made, uh, you know, by the, the health director himself. So. Okay, so with, so obviously the, you know, the elephant in the room is gonna be, you know, the COVID response and everything we've been doing uh, for the last several months. Um, how has that affected the department, your, your Department of Health and you as an advisor? Sure. So I actually sit on two groups. I'm Board of Health uh, as an advisor, obviously, uh, as a council member, but also I'm on the county executive's um, economic recovery work group. So I have provided suggestions from my perspective, uh, not only someone who has, you know, obviously gotten COVID-19 and recovered, but also just a view of local businesses. Um, because what happens is, when we had the public health emergencies declared by the governor, and then obviously on to the local level with the county executive, decisions need to be made about what is the best interest. And of course, we're still working on what are those best interests because we have children playing sports. We have restaurants where you go to eat. We have schools. There's so many different factors that are involved with that. And they're always a moving target. And of course, the CDC and many other you know, federal agencies were kind of waiting for their guidance, right? To see how things go. And we've seen mixed reactions. Obviously, when some guidance is put out, then it's changed. You know, first there was no mask, then they tell you to wear a mask. And now all of a sudden they're saying, yeah, it's probably a good idea to wear a mask. <laughs> um, so, so again, it, it, it's, a, it's a, a, a difficult piece to follow. But on the other hand, you want to do what's best, what you believe is obviously for the community in terms of what we're doing. And what I've done is I've tried to look at this in, in this way. Um, you know, this pandemic obviously is not going to go away anytime soon. We were waiting for vaccinations. We're needing for things to occur. So what can we do and how can we handle it in terms of working with uh, the ability to open business in a smart way? Like, can tents be outside for restaurants, right? What are some ways that youth sports can play where, you know, if the parents are asked to wear masks on the sideline or people are tested, things like that? Very important that we obviously look at those things. Speaking of COVID, as I, I see you tried to, to sweep it under <laughs> there as you were talking, you know, you, but you very much said it and um, it was all over the newspapers that you yourself had coronavirus and a lot of people don't like to talk about it because it is a personal health thing. Um, but the, uh, the news 
did a great job of putting it out there for you. So when, how was it for you? Because sitting here looking at you, I would not suspect that you are somebody who just recovered from coronavirus. How Absolutely. did it go? Yeah. <laughs> no. And, and, and let me maybe uh, open up to get, give a little, uh, you know, primer in terms of, you know, what occurred. So um, if I would have never got tested, I, I kind of did it on a whim. I wouldn't have known that I've had coronavirus. I was very mm -hmm. asymptomatic. Um, technically, uh, and, and I've said this to some people, I actually thought I had food poisoning. Um, you know, I had an avocado like on Saturday with a salad I hadn't had in a while. And I'm like, you know, I'm really not feeling well the rest of the week. And I did go to my doctor, ask kind of what's going on. And then on a Friday, I decided I'm just going to, I want to see how this testing works. And also just, you know, just to make sure it was it really, it was a whim. And I found out on Saturday, the health department calls me and said, you tested positive. I'm like, really? Wow. Uh, because I uh, wear a mask everywhere. I wash my hands. Um, you could ask any of my neighbors. I'm probably the safest person in the neighborhood where I speak 12 feet away instead of six, <laughs> right. uh, you know, just to be safe. So what I would say to you, as far as transmission, uh, community transition, it's real. Um, yeah. And it happened to a lot of people. Um, and as a public official, it's not like uh, I have to stay in. Uh, I was obviously quarantined. I'll talk about that in a second, but um, I have to be out, right? I I'm going to visit sites, communities. I try and limit my reactions, but ultimately we just don't know. I mean, I could have been at a supermarket in the grocery aisle and, you know, caught it and just, you know, whatever else. But um, I would say to people that uh, it is real. It's serious. Uh, I'm, I'm lucky. Uh, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Yeah. I've had people, constituents who've called me who have actually passed away. Uh, wow. And I've known people that are in ICU um, and other things. And, and I think what we're trying to figure out is, and, and, and if we had this answer, who exactly gets it? You know, if, if there were a way to kind of test or know, you know, that we could protect them, but it's so a wild card that yeah. I just don't know. And uh, I will say that um, the minute I shared, uh, I did it for two reasons. Number one, as a public official, there is no privacy. Uh, right. Certainly <laughs> right. You need to let people know. And I also believe, and I'm a firm believer, that I should be caring about everyone else that I may have come in contact with, right? Absolutely. Like I called everyone, texted everyone. The minute I found out, anyone that I interacted with, I immediately reached out on my own. Um, I remember the health department calling me and asking me, they said, you know, uh, here's, here's a list of people you should contact. Whatever. I said, I did that like immediately. I, yeah. I stopped myself, you know, from worrying about me and worrying about others, because ultimately that's what you want to, you want to stop the transmission and limit it. And, and really that's the key. Um, but again, I, I want to reiterate, I never had a temperature like many people do, uh, but I did have symptoms and they came after I tested positive. Uh, I did lose a lot of weight. I had no appetite for about a week and a half. Um, wow. I think at one point I was down 12 or 15 pounds from where I originally was. Oh my goodness. Um, I did lose taste and smell uh, for about a day and a half, three days. It was very limited. Uh, I'll never forget it though. And I've never had this uh, feeling in my life, but I had a lemon cough drop, right? Cause I had, did have this dry cough as well. And I put it in and, and I noticed like, there's no taste. Like, so I did another one just to see like maybe the, you know, <laughs> right. they didn't produce it right or something happened. And, and this uh, thing's taste awful. Just, yeah. It was a shock to me. Uh, again, I've never had a pellet like that uh, in terms of what's there, wow. but, um, you know, God bless. And thankfully, um, you know, with my health, I didn't expose it to my family, my children. I quarantined for two weeks, uh, basically, you know, stayed inside my basement and did not come out, um, you know, to make sure that the folks were protected. And so again, just want to reiterate to people that I think it can be transmitted very easily, even yeah. if you're careful. Um, and the second thing is, if you do get it, uh, you know, I, I would say to you, please quarantine, contact people. Um, it's not a matter of pride. It's not a matter of, of, you know, what you think. It's really making sure we care for others. And that's what I think a lot of it's about, the individual versus the community. And I think we really need to think about the community here and try and help others. Yeah. And I think too, like you said, you yourself didn't have it too bad, but holy cow, losing 12 to 15 pounds in a week. Imagine if you are, are somebody else whose health isn't that great, that could be very significant and very detrimental. And, uh, and I think it's great that, that you put it out there um, because, and especially hearing you talk about when I first read it, I was like, wow, poor guys, it's all over the news, you know, um, but at the same time, I think it's also very important for, for the citizens to see that nobody is invincible with this, that our, our elected officials, everybody's getting it. Um, one of the things I've heard, and I would love to hear your experience with this, 
is a lot of people are kind of afraid of the test <laughs> because it hasn't been described as the most pleasant thing in the world. So could you tell us about the, a little bit about the actual test? Because they show these horrible images of the, the testing um, swab going up your nose and all this other stuff. And I hate to say it, but I think people are a little nervous about going to get a test just because of that. So, so tell us, is it really that bad? So I'll give the analogy. I, I have a young daughter uh, two years ago that had to get tested for strep. And I thought it was the end of the world as a father uh, trying to push her to do that. Um, I, I will say again, because uh, I've had, you know, the test, obviously the test is positive, And then I've gone recently to, you know, to make sure obviously uh, negative and nothing else. And, and, and it does, it does tickle. It feels weird, obviously having, um, you know, probe or, or basically a swab up your nose. But, but what I would say to you is it's nothing that's painful. Um, if anything, uh, the reactions that people have had is that you may sneeze because, you know, if somebody has allergies or things like that uh, from that end. And, and there are, uh, you know, also throbe and, and other tests that they have. I know other people have done blood tests and, and all of them are back and forth. But I, I would say overall, um, the, the, the risk, if you want to say for someone or, or the concern, certainly is outweighed by, by willing to, to go and get tested. Um, right. And it's not as bad as, as people make out to be. And, and the, the Anne Arundel County Department of Health, I will say, because uh, I've gone to the O'Malley Senior Center, which is one site uh, right near Fort Meade, and there are many. If you go to the Anne Arundel yes. County Department of Health site, um, you know, they are very, very good at explaining what they're doing, the process, how they will contact you. So I think, you know, to put people at ease, again, it's very something that's very well organized. Uh, they follow up with you. And especially if you test positive, you know, they really work with you. I'll never forget the questionnaire and the, the contact tracing piece that I went on. I literally almost spent an hour and a half, um, you know, with the Department of Health. And part of it was for my own knowledge, right? To learn um, not only just what they're asking, but why are they asking it and having a conversation. And, you know, I didn't want to take too much of the time because they're helping others. But also uh, when I've had others contact me, like they thought they had the virus or they think they have it, or where do I go for testing? I frequently get that all the time. Um, I try and share that information as much as possible because knowledge is power. And I think that particularly for people who do have it, um, it's important to, you know, to go through. And, and again, there were so many people, even people that I didn't know, uh, sent sympathy cards. Um, I had emails, uh, Facebook messages. I, I was very happy about that. And, you know, one of the unfortunate things given this time, um, you know, you had some people, they didn't ask for my death or anything like that, but, you know, they, they were critical. Why are you sharing this? Like you're trying to get sympathy, other things like that. Oh. And of course, the president got it, other people. You know, ultimately, here, here's what I say. If you're doing your job as a public leader, it's to share information, right? And, right. and really, I wanted to make sure that that information was out there. Um, people knew uh, it was something I experienced. And if you looked at the press release that obviously I did, you know, I just shared basic information about here's what I know, here's what's happening. I'm going to quarantine for two weeks because this is what you should do. This right. is what the CDC guidelines says, it's the Department of Health is saying. So I want to follow what is right um, and, and do that. So I, I believe that it was the right thing to do. And, and I hope that others do that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it was, um, you know, it was refreshing to see you put, put it out there and to, you know, be following the guidelines and things like that, because I think it's very comforting to, to the citizens just to see that and to know that, that this is um, something we can get through together. Absolutely. Just kind of like kind of getting back to, to your position as a councilman. Here at Fort Meade, a lot of the folks who live here at Fort Meade or live in the region even, so off post. So obviously we have to have a great partnership with the county. We're spending a lot of money in the county. That's where we're getting our goods and services from. Um, and vice versa, but how can somebody get involved? Like myself, for example, I'm a military spouse, but my residency is actually Virginia. So how can folks who are connected here with Fort Meade or active duty military and families who might not be actual residents legally of the county, um, how can they get involved with county council and, and what can they do to impact and, and partner with the county? It's, it's a very good question. And, and I'll start, um, this started my uh, service on the Board of Education. Uh, you may or may not remember this, but I used to hold town halls uh, on Fort Meade and actually at the PX, now it's been renovated since then, <laughs> um, would sit there and obviously help. So from that end, so obviously I would help, you know, and go through and kind of assist what, 
you know, what's there. But I, I think the biggest piece is that even though you're not a resident, you use services, right? You right. would just say that you are obviously providing funds and things in the area. So my suggestion is that it's not a matter of whether you're a resident or not. You're living here. You obviously support and pay taxes from that end. If there's something that you want to see changed or advocate, that gives you every right. Um, I've had people who contact me that live on base all the time or, or aren't residents that need support or service or have a suggestion. And, and I take that. And I think that's the biggest piece is that we need more elected officials to be out in the community and be accessible. I can't tell you how many times where um, it used to be email, right? I would get emails yeah. all the time. Facebook message. I, I don't know how many constituent complaints, concerns, issues that I get. And then people are just like shocked. Oh my gosh, you're responding to me on this. Yes. Um, and, and again, that's the way that I operate, um, you know, from that end. So I, I think um, really to hone in on, on what you're asking is that there is a way to get involved. We do have council meetings where people can testify. You know, certainly if you email me, you reach out. But also the way things work sometimes, and, and I wish they would work a little bit better, but it really comes down to advocacy. So when you have someone in a group of people who have an issue and they're passionate about it, that's how things change. Um, obviously I pass legislation because I hear a constituent or somebody have a concern and then I try and go after it to help them. Right. Um, but on the other hand, there's also things that people bring up that maybe I wouldn't know about, or I'm not experiencing, you know, I represent a large district, which has a lot of diversity economically, uh, geographics, you know, and yes. so on, um, you know, that, that I just kind of reach out and I do reach out to HOAs. I've, I come on podcasts, uh, and other, um, you know, WebEx meetings, things like that. And, and we try and be out there uh, from that end. And, and I think that's what's important is really to listen uh, because you cannot guide your budget discussions, your policies, your votes, unless you listen. And so that, that's an, a critical piece for me um, is that don't always do the talking. It's easy, you know, as a, as a former right. teacher, we, I love to talk, we love to be out, but just stop and listening what people have to say and kind of hearing what's happening in the community. That's kind of how I've guided things and, and really pushing in particular Fort Meade not only on base, but outside the area, you know, I hear all the time the traffic. So obviously oh, I'm trying to work yes. on roads, right? Um, parks, recreation, like right now, uh, there's a proposal to possibly add a dog park or uh, an amphitheater right next to the Odenton Library. Yes, uh, we know, actually I'm, sit on that absolutely. committee. Yeah, so, so I'm working on the Odenton uh, Town Center uh, as well. And I'd like to see a swim center. Uh, yes. And, and located in downtown Odenton. And, and, and I'll tell you why downtown Odenton is, is the right spot, in my opinion. Now, obviously, we're, we're still working towards that. Not only um, is it located close to Fort Meade, but it's located to a lot of people uh, in, in high-density areas, right? If you look at Odenton, the amount of density that's been built with housing, um, if it's in the center of Odenton, it's accessible. It's near there. Uh, folks in Fort Meade could obviously use it. And I, I think we'd have a great facility uh, and kind of a community gathering place. Yeah. Um, because I know sometimes people feel that you can't go on Fort Meade because you don't you don't have any connection there, you know. So there's that limit. But just overall, what could we do to bring people together? Uh, and we have some obviously some park improvements. Gork Park, for instance, um, is going to get a five million dollar renovation. There's a lot of military families uh, that I know that yeah. utilize and are, are registered for those sports. Uh, besides the MWR stuff that's put out, you know, things right. for recreation and family. Um, so so there are things that we're we're certainly working on. So definitely an advocate for the area. We're trying to get a parking garage over the Odenton Town Center uh, built. Um, there's been some struggles. Obviously, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So how do you finance these things? Right. Uh, whatever else. But my, my hope is by the end of my tenure, uh, I made it a better place than when I came, you know, in advocating for quality of life issues uh, with bike trails and other things. And I, I think we'll see some of those things come to fruition. And if not, they'll at least be in the budget. So they'll be built after I leave. So. There you go. Yeah. And quality of life, you know, that's that's a big I guess, buzz term, you could say for the military and Joe can speak a lot to this as well as, you know, being a veteran himself. Uh, but we really do look for that. And, you know, you mentioned the swim center earlier that um, our past uh, garrison commander wrote a letter of support that things like that really benefit the Fort Meade service members and family. In Odenton, I'd be curious to see how many of the folks that live in Odenton actually drive a mile or two up to work every day. And so just that really community connection uh, is really, really important. And I love that you said that even though a Fort Meade family who's here uh, might not be a, an actual resident of Anne Arundel County that you still want to hear their concerns. Um, because unfortunately, you know, as somebody who's moved around a lot <laughs> in the past uh, six years, even sometimes you feel like, what does my opinion really matter? I'm going to be up and gone here 
before you know it. So it's really, really great to hear that. So I really like the idea of the, the, the center that you're going to build. I think anything like Sherry was saying about connecting, uh, you know, those who live off base with those who live on base, any kind of like middle ground where, you know, because if they can't get on base, it's a great place to, to, to connect, you know, both communities. So I really, I really like the idea of that. Um, one of the questions I, I wanted to ask was um, going from being an educator into being a council person, how did that open your eyes to the way local government works? Sure. So again, I, being a teacher, I taught government. That was one of my uh, you know, major pieces. So local, state, national. Um, and one of the things I think that you know, when you serve uh, is how difficult it is to get legislation uh, passed. You know, it's one thing studying how government operates and how they do things, uh, but really to get things done. And, and bureaucracy is there, you know, it's in any institution sure. that you have and there's a way, but it, it is really about reaching out uh, and building relationships, not only with the community, but also your fellow colleagues and the folks who make decisions. So that's really where um, I had to tune my skills um, to even further piece, but I, I learned, uh, you know, a lot. Uh, I interned uh, for Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who's a former Senator from New York. Uh, I was a speech writer for Senator uh, excuse me, former Governor Dick Riley, who was the Secretary of Education mm -hmm. at the U.S. Department of Education. So I, I have some background that maybe other folks, you know, um, either didn't know about or whatever that kind of helped me with that, but also being in a classroom. You know, you have to understand the kids, uh, and when I say kids, some of them are young adults, especially that I taught in high school. Um, you know, they're resilient and they ask tough questions. Um, yes, they do. Today, <laughs> you know, that they are uh, very in tune to what's going on, uh, both presidential races, you know, local government, uh, school board. I just find it quite amazing. And honestly, I'm going to be honest, I learned a lot from them. You know, I really did from being in a classroom and taking that to where I'm going, because I see that as that you cannot just assume that, you know, because you're passing something or you believe it, that that's either the right thing to do or whatever else. You really got to try and build coalitions and look across the broader piece. And that's difficult sometimes, right? That when I represent so many different areas, there's parochial interests. Some people are more closer to the water, you know, others maybe to a local community or their school is their major issue. Uh, and so you kind of have to sort through that and work through what is, what is the best, uh, you know, for the community. And I, I want to share something and, I, and you all can relate to this. So my father uh, served in the military, obviously at Fort Meade, uh, but he also went on to serve at the Veterans Administration. And uh, I grew up in a place called Batavia, New York. Uh, it's right on the, off the thruway. Home of the Batavia bats. There you go. So you know. <laughs> um, but what I did is I had to kill time. My dad usually worked like an evening shift. So like 10 to six or something like that. And I spent, uh, I think it was about 2,500 hours overall, my uh, years through high school, volunteering at the VA. And what I would do is literally uh, folks who were there for surgery, um, residents, they had, you know, it was a mixed hospital that, that were there. You, you had senior housing. You had folks who are obviously just there for elective surgeries, other things like that. I mean, uh, it's very similar to Walter Reed. I mean, it, it had different aspects, whatever else. But I'll tell you that that changed me uh, forever um, from meeting a lot of people that didn't have family. And honestly, that was the best time that I spent being able to help people who didn't have a family and being able wow. to support person from them. Um, I actually had a uh, eighth grade teacher who unfortunately passed away at that VA. But I remember going to visit him and we would always play chess, do other things at a basketball court. Um, so I picked up a lot of my knowledge and experience from a lot of these gentlemen that served in Korea, Vietnam, you know, at that time. And it was just, uh, it was enlightening to me. And it really put a perspective. Uh, and I'll never forget, I always say this, when you we used to walk in the facility, um, there used to be a sign that was there. And it said, sacrifice is visible here, right? In terms of, of what... Uh, is limited. And again, you had folks, particularly with no family, that really, you know, gave a lot. Uh, and so that that humbled me in terms of my attitude. Uh, you know, when you're a young kid, you think you know everything. And right. Everything else. But when you talk to some of these folks um, and their experiences, it's just amazing. I mean, I, I just heard so many unique stories and I was great to be a part of that. I made, made some great friends and uh, it shaped me as a person and how I should serve people. Uh, because, you know, the, the, the sacrifice that they gave in the public service, it just changed my, you know, the way that I, I view life. So that, that 
experience itself was, was very helpful. That's amazing. And, and I'm sure at that time you had no idea that you'd be a councilman with the largest installation, I mean, installation employer, I shouldn't say we're the largest installation, we're actually land-wise very small, but right. impacts the entire state. I mean, we're the largest or employer in the state of Maryland. We have a workforce of 56,000. I mean, what? How? how funny, I guess, ironic, whatever you want to call it, that it is. It is, and, I, and I'll share something. So, the, the, my brother and sister, who were born on base at the time, um, now live in New York, and then the, my other brother, who and us were born in New York, live in Maryland. So it's it, again, <laughs> there's irony with everything, uh, and, and it's it's interesting. You know, when I uh, brought my father back to Kimberl, how things changed. He hadn't been back for a while, and uh, you guys probably or may not recall, but there were a lot of wooden barracks more yes. than you know there were there, and so a lot of those things have been moved. Of course, the golf course, uh, Mead <laughs> High School was just barely getting started, you know, when my dad was leaving. So again, it's, it's just quite knowing the history and understanding uh, what's there. And I've met a lot of people in the community. Uh, another gentleman um, that I got to meet that owns Anne Arundel County Lawn and Garden, his grandfather, he has a plow that they use to plow the original fields at Fort Meade to build. Wow. And so again, these are just small things that you kind of learn uh, what's there. But I, I have an appreciation for for not only the, the folks that serve that, but the history. Right. You know, it's, it's been a part of this community for, for a long time and it's changed. The mission has changed, certainly. Um, you know, particularly with, with uh, all the things that, that are going on with, um, you know, a lot of the uh, web and internet, uh, you know, missions and other things like that. So it's, it's been, uh, been interesting to see that change as well. So. Uh, that's, what, that's my favorite thing about Port Mead. I mean, it's established 1917, started out with tanks, well, actually horses in right. World War, you know, World War One, and then tanks for World War Two, And it's, uh, it's just amazing. And in the backdrop has been Anne Arundel County the whole time. So, so very, uh, very long relationship we have and friendship and partnership too, I think is a very good way to describe it. I really appreciate the VA story. I think that's, yeah. uh, I think spending time, having spent time in the VA system uh, myself, it's always, it's always great to see others participate in, in the things that we, you know, deal with and go through, you know, having, having somebody to talk to, just talk to sometimes mm -hmm. it, it really makes the difference. So I, I appreciate your story. I appreciate what you, what you do. Right. Uh, definitely a lifelong public servant uh, started at a very young age and, and that definitely shows. So you said earlier, Facebook messenger is a great way to get a hold of you. Your email and office phone number is online. You can search uh, Anne Arundel County Council District 4 and you will find uh, Councilman Prusky's information. Uh, and then the county council meetings that people can normally attend, I'm assuming that those aren't happening in person right now. So if somebody wanted to check out one of those, are we able to do that right now with COVID? Yep, so if you actually type in Google Anne Arundel County uh, Council, you can go to the website. Uh, I don't have the URL handy, but I'm sure we could get that to folks. But uh, we are doing Zoom meetings where you can follow and listen in, and you could testify in Zoom. So we actually have a way where you could submit testimony ahead of time. We are pretty close to bringing uh, folks back, obviously, uh, which you're familiar with, with the office settings, mm -hmm. uh, you know, plexiglass, other uh, protectants that we're working on, protective uh, uh, situations that, that we're doing. But yes, there is a way uh, where folks can certainly participate. And, and I also, uh, besides Facebook, uh, send out a lot of town hall notices. Um, you know, as we get into budget season, I usually have one in each community, allow folks to kind of come and testify. And I'll look forward to that again, to, to hearing from folks about what priorities are, because uh, that's important. You know, obviously you should set your priorities based upon what you hear from your constituents. Um, and so that's why uh, we certainly look at that. But um, yeah, we, we'd love to have folks anytime and, and uh, you know, appreciate you uh, obviously having this, uh, this discussion. As you heard, folks, you know, that was Councilman Prusky, and uh, he had a lot of great things to say. And like we said, you know, he, this this is a gentleman who spent a lot of time in service to others, and, and that's always great to see. And now, now coming up, we're going to be hearing from our military liaison from the library. Yes, Laura Ephraim over at the Severn Branch, which is the one right off of Rockenbach Road here. And, you know, with COVID, they're starting to um, institute some new services that are free and available. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's great, too, because if you have kids, even if you don't have kids, 
But but if you do have kids, there's a lot of great programs for the kids. There's a lot of programs for us as, as adults too. Uh, you know, she's going to talk about like a, like a movie streaming uh, service that you're going to hear about here in a little bit. And um, lots of stuff for the kids. And free. Always free. That's the best part, you know, with the library. All you have to do is have a library card. That's right. So here's uh, Laura Ephraim with more from the Anne Arundel County Public Library 7 Branch. Laura, what, what's going on at the library? Yeah, okay, so I would love to talk about that. Um, my name is Laura and I work over at the Severn Library Branch. Um, I can give kind of an overview of what Anne Arundel County libraries are doing right now because lots have been happening and we wanna get the word out there that we are open for appointments. Um, so people can come into our buildings and we would love to see you. We are keeping a limited capacity and enforcing mask wearing and social distancing. But given all that, we have times for everyone to come in and use the computer to browse for their books. And we also have wireless printing. So we've been doing the curbside pickup for a while now, and that is ongoing for people who'd rather not come into the building still. Um, and if anyone hasn't uh, tried that out yet, it's a really nifty little process. You just drive up into the parking lot when your books are ready and you text us and we bring your books out to a table um, and you can get everything you need that way still. So the curbside services have been very popular um, during COVID-19. So when, when this is over, whenever that is, is that something you think the library is going to keep? Do people seem to really enjoy that service? Hmm, I couldn't speak to that really, but um, people are definitely enjoying it. Um, we've got some of our branches, it's more popular than others, um, but the convenience factor is wonderful. You know, you don't have to go in and leave your car even. It's just a, a wonderful, you know, convenient thing. I, that would be cool if we kept doing it, but yeah, I used mean, to say what the future holds at this point. <laughs> right. Well, I'm just, I'm just selfishly thinking of the fact that I could come to the library and get my stuff and keep my pajamas and my slippers on and nobody would know. <laughs> this is the person who comes and greets me at my car. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, silver, the silver lining uh, of this pandemic. So it really sounds like the library is pretty much offering its full range of services, just with some modifications for safety concerns. Yes. One of the things that we have not been able to safely phase back in our meetings. Um, so certainly mm -hmm. our space has been popular for people to meet up um, and just use as the space with other people. Um, and we have not been able to, to do that recently. Um, you know, just when things are safer, we will be happy to phase that back in, but we're being really considerate about um, keeping everyone healthy and, you know, contributing to a, the community in that way. So. Awesome. So I, I have to say one of the things I really enjoyed about the library over this whole scenario we're going through was you've been doing a lot of story times through social media and I really appreciate you know seeing those and seeing them in done in Spanish as well as in English. Um, are, do you guys have plans to continue that? Yeah I would love to talk about that so the the bilingual Spanish ones are um, those are those are my favorite. Ava and I uh, do those alternating on Tuesdays. So every Tuesday at 1030, we've got that bilingual story time. Um, and we are planning on continuing um, every Monday through Friday to have uh, early literacy story time at 1030 on our Facebook page. Um, we're planning that out through February at this point. Um, so that's not going away anytime soon. And and it's lovely because people who might not have been able to get to the branch at that time before can pop one and see us and the videos remain up for 24 hours. So it kind of fits into the schedule, um, but it's nice to do it live. I think even when we get back to, to normal, you should still live stream it from the, the live audience um, because that is such a cool feature. And as Joe said, having uh, the bilingual story time, I mean, it is so cool. And um, yeah, I certainly hope that, fun. and I hope that the, uh, the online version stays long after COVID. What, what other programs? You hinted earlier that you may have some other uh, fun programs to talk about at the library. So, so what's going on? Yeah, yeah. So um, our virtual programming has kind of been taking off lately. And um, so at the Severn Branch, we have a fun alien Lego challenge coming up where you can log on and you can 
complete these challenges that have to do with an alien story, and I won't ruin the surprise. Um, we're going to be doing pajama story times, I believe, once a month. Um, we also have a fun program for teens. Um, so each month we're going to be doing teen book boxes where we've got a limited number of boxes and you can register on our website to receive one. It's got goodies in it. And then if you answer a few questions, you get a hand-picked book from a librarian um, that we think that you might enjoy. Um, so all of that stuff is available on our website. If you go to aacpl.net slash location slash Severn, um, or if you just go on the website and hit locations and hours and then find Severn, we'll be listing that on the website. Um, and then I know Odenton and Maryland City, those libraries are pretty nearby too. They're also giving away bilingual books um, in celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month um, all month long. So there are lots of fun things coming up. Um, and then just ongoing throughout, we've been doing these make and take crafts. So you can come to any one of these three libraries and we have crafts um, that are changing every couple of weeks or so. Um, and they're just kind of take home and you can have them for younger children or older children. Some of us are even doing ones for adults and it's a nice thing to break up the day. So yeah, they're changing constantly and you can kind of pick them up whenever you're going to get your books. Laura, could you talk a little bit about, you talked about all these amazing programs and traditionally with libraries, things like this are, are free if you have a library card. So what do, you know, we just had PCS season, so we probably have a lot of new families out here. So for anybody listening, the Severn Branch is just right outside the Rock and Bot Gate, basically. Uh, so very close by um, to our families and neighborhoods. Uh, what do they need to get a, a library card so they can enjoy all this stuff? I am so glad you asked. Um, so the easiest way to do it is probably to go on our website right now and you can create a virtual library card. And that kind of gets you started with being able to access our virtual resources. And then once you are able to get to the branch, you can sort of use the curbside model um, and you can come with something that verifies your address. Um, so if you've just moved in, you got a letter or something, um, official that's just got your name and address on it. It doesn't even have to be an updated driver's license or anything. Just bring that in and show us and we will get you a uh, brand new library card. And yes, it is free and it's easy to do. It only takes a couple of minutes. So it really opens up the whole world if you if you get a library card and well, we've and got a lot to offer. Yeah, and I also, um, you know, there's lots of great stuff for the kids. There's also a lot of great stuff for the adults. And if you wanted to talk a minute, I know, because I use these services and I use them so much, I forget which one's which, but I know there's one where I get free audiobooks, um, free magazines online. Um, the audiobooks is great because you can get it on your phone and, you know, listen to it in the car or what have you. So talk a little bit about that. And I know you have a movie service as well. So if you wanted to touch on those a little bit. Yeah. Um, so what you're referring to is... Well, we've got a few online audiobooks and, and digital books, um, but the one I like to harp on if you're just starting out is Libby by yes. Overdrive. Um, and right, so it's free. So if you're used to uh, Kindle and buying books from Amazon, you don't have to do that anymore. Um, you can just get a library card and you are able to check out books. You can read them, you can listen to them, and there's magazines there as well. Um, and it, it really is, you know, it's uh, a bunch of popular titles and you can stack them up on yes. hold so you've always got one coming in. And that's what I wanted to say. It's popular titles. I know when this first, this stuff first started coming out, the free stuff was like things you read in grade school and you're not really interested in reading again, but they have amazing books um, on this for free. Um, so definitely check that out. I enjoy that very much because I used to, I, I'm a book lover, um, but I've recently realized I just don't have time anymore. So it's much easier. I can't really read a book while I'm driving to work every day. So I'm either listening to a book or a podcast. Those are my two things <laughs> that are on in my car during the drive to and from work. So amazing um, opportunities there for free stuff. It's like my favorite yeah. price. Yeah, and you had mentioned the movie service as well. That's called yes. Canopy. Um, it's Canopy with a K, not a C. And that is amazing. Um, I actually got into it uh, personally recently. And it's like, it's basically Netflix, but it, with a little bit more of a documentary, foreign films, indie films sort of vibe going on. But tons of stuff you can't find on Netflix. Um, and not just obscure titles that you wouldn't be interested in. There are, there are some really great, 
things to check out in there and it's all free so you know you don't have to buy another streaming service you can just use your library card and uh up your options there a little bit no i'm really excited about these programs um i might actually look into the uh box service that you were talking about. Um, I used to take my girls to the library all the time out where I live. So those things sound fun. I'm really glad that we are finding creative alternatives to to be able to still utilize the libraries. They're there and it would be a shame if we couldn't use them like we always do. So it's really nice to hear of all these options for everybody. Yes, we are always trying to adapt and um, yeah, I mean, and, and a lot of those programs that I mentioned, actually all of them maybe are registration. So definitely look them up on the website and then get in line there. And, and there's going to be new ones coming out all the time. So, yes. I know during COVID, Joe, I don't know about you, but I've definitely partaken, and not just through libraries, but through everybody's doing this stuff, all sorts of webinars and like talks and uh, review, you know, all sorts of things. So it's really cool. Yeah. Um, to see that the library is also doing a lot of that stuff. So I am loving it. And for all the branches, we are all sort of doing something different timing wise with appointments um, in the hopes that we'll be able to serve everyone. You know, you can't get in at one branch, you can get in at a different one at least. Um, so the best thing to do is just call those branches individually and um, speak with someone there. Uh, Laura, one, I think one more thing I wanna make sure that our audience knows. So for everybody listening, Laura, We've has been working with the fort for I think over a year now, mm -hmm. and you were named the military liaison, correct? So could you tell us why the library decided they needed a military liaison? Because I think it'd be very interesting for our families to understand our relationship. Um, the Severn Branch, because we're so close to Fort Meade, um, you guys are our community and such a huge part of our community and the library invests a lot of time in understanding our community needs um, so it was really necessary to really formalize a partnership so we created this library liaison position so that well so that you and I could work together Sherry and, yes um, so that we could have a better understanding you of the library and me of the fort and that way I could really come to understand what your families are needing and, and what gaps we can fill um, you know, it's a very, people are coming in and out all the time of the fort and, and we want to be a part of the community that helps them to feel like this is their home. Um, so it's been so helpful being in this position and coming to understand military culture and Fort Meade in particular a lot better so that we can be working with our partners to, to really meet those needs. And I know before COVID, um, you guys came on for a tour. I think we had lunch over at the DFAC. Again, this was all pre-COVID. So, which is, is really nice when the community wants to learn more about what we're doing here on the fort. And also to point out too, you know, we do have the um, Medal of Honor Library on the fort, which unfortunately has been closed because of COVID-19. And a lot of what you do just really supplements and augments the things that they're doing. Um, everything from just having different hours to more programming available and things of that. So it's really nice to be able to work with our community partners and just give more uh, to our service members and families um, here on the fort. So I really hope our listeners, you know, I hope that they take the opportunity to go visit the library, get those library cards. If you just uh, moved on to post, I'm sure you have some mail or something or orders or something with your uh, new address on it, uh, maybe a leasing agreement or what have you. Um, so you can get that library card and really partake in a lot of amazing programming, things to keep your kids busy, things to keep you busy and entertained and growing and learning.